This is an adult podcast made for adults by adults. I want to remind you, if you want to support us, the best way to do that is to share this podcast. Grab a link of an episode, send it to any of your friends or people close to you who you think might like films or just absurd conversations on media. Batman! Batman. Dun 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 dun. I want to be the very bat. Let Naruto in. Fight the Joker and the rat. Batman is still important in this song and he defeats the blue eyes white dragon. Gotta catch them all. Ah, yeah, this is what happens when you let Batman fans like Suede reveal their true element. That's not all though. This episode at least is sometimes the most douchey episode and also the most sexual episode at times. What can you do? This is Fake Film Fans. Hey everybody, welcome to Fake Film Fans. I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm Suede Best, aka Batman. Fuck, I'm Walter. I completely forgot to prepare (laughs) something. So No, you're also Batman. Say you're Batman. Okay, I'm Batman. I'm Vengeance. I'm Tori. I'm a lost toilet paper talent. (laughs) (laughs) So last week on the podcast, Suede, you called me a contrarian because I said I couldn't get the Labyrinth. Well, I watched the Labyrinth. It was actually a lot more funner than I expected. I am a contrarian. Wait, really? You did watch it? Dude, I fucking prom- I am the only person who fucking watches the shit that other people bring to the fucking podcast. Uh, I watched Dervita, Walt. You so. brought Davida to the podcast, you idiot. <laughs> that's true. It's that's fucking... true. That's true. The reason why I brought it up, though, is because I wanted to talk about contrarianism. Because I think the term contrarianism gets kind of a bad rep, where people don't want to be called contrarians. Of course, there are bad things about being a contrarian, right? One, you're very quick to judge. But to be quite honest, the person who's calling you a contrarian is probably very quick to judge too. So that's kind of a mute point in a way. Before we go down this rabbit hole, can you define what you think of being a contrarian as well? I think being a contrarian is someone who doesn't like something just for the sake of it being popular. I think it's kind of a waste of time. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I like find myself being a contrarian, so I'm by no means free of this sin. But like, when I stop being a contrarian and just give something the chance, sometimes I do end up really enjoying it. Now, I will tell you, I am a contrarian in a different way than Walt. I am a contrarian in that when people don't like a movie because it's bad, like The Mask, I will die on that hill. And be like, no, The Mask is a good movie. CW's Flash is another one. Fucking love that TV show. Part of it is that everyone else hates it. And so I want to like it. What you like in it, too, is not that it's good. Walter and I had a professor who would show movies. And some movies she would show, she would say, I don't think this is a good movie. But I also love it. What her point was like, like, she didn't think it was a good piece of art or whatever that means. But there's still something like weird in it that we can look at and enjoy part of in some weird way, which I think is more interesting also than just focusing on like the the quote unquote smart stuff, because guess what? Like there's just so much fucking stuff and garbage out there that it can't all be amazing. We can't all just find the stuff that we like. I think I think it's more important rather than being a contrarian to take like a certain kind of open critical attitude where you can like something and still be critical of it i 
try to find things that I, I enjoy in movies. But I, I do find these days, more often than not, I gravitate towards things that are weird, even if they're not perfect. The Flash is, I really like, almost like every season can be boiled down to The Flash needs to run faster, which I think is like a crazy way to set up a plot. Even though the the, the actual like meta plot isn't comprehensible, and a lot of the actors can't act all that well, and it, it's kind of got like anime rules. It's like not a very good show, but it, it's so weirdly put together with this idea that you just need to run faster to win that it like gets me every time. Would you start disliking The Flash if the creator came out and said, actually, each shot I did was like super No, well I would out. I would love that. And I, I, I think I want to redefine bad. If we want to talk about narrative as something with that's like mechanical, The Flash fails mechanically quite often. And so it's not that it's bad transcendentally, but it is it is the the artifact that is the narrative of the story isn't always successful in doing what it needs to do. And so it's it makes it hard to watch because the the, the car is not moving the way it should, right? But the car has like really sweet seat warmers. And so even though the car doesn't drive well, the seat warmers make it worth it. I have a, a problem though, because what I, I don't know, I feel like you said yes to Walter's theoretical question, but I'm not sure that answer is so easily made. You're saying that if the director came out and was like, this is actually a very art, like this is all purposeful, all very artistically done through like my intense devotion to this craft. I, I kind of, I'm, I'm saying no. I think your perspective would have to change. Okay, so no, because the way I learned to interact with media, like from high school all the way to college, was that like, you don't interact with anything that the author has to say. You just do it. It's like the death of the author, right? You interact with the piece of media that's directly in front of you. We've talked about this a little bit on the podcast that you can't do that. But I think if the director came out and was like, man, when the Flash runs really fast and his... He's like perfectly set up like a Fibonacci spiral and I'm and it's like there's so much art and intention in that shot. I would be like what 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 crack are you smoking motherfucker? Like what do fix your plot. Fix your actors before you worry about the Fibonacci spiral in the running. I think the only way that would change my perspective is if it was like metaphor and meaning put in the text and it changes the way I view it, right? Quick little spoiler. I watched the first the 1989 Batman film. And I, I have some things I want to say about it, but I was, I was researching the, the Joker, um, because there's, the Joker feels a little different in this movie than he does in the comics. And so I was researching Joker and like sex crimes, because to my knowledge, there's not all that much that, that he like doesn't really do that until I looked at someone talking about the killing joke, which is like a famously polarizing Batman, uh, run that there's no actual sexual assault that happens on screen. In, on the on the panels but that the way it's set up and the way the characters are like presented it's hard not to once someone points it out to you that it feels like sexual assault in an unpleasant way like in a way that doesn't feel like it is useful to the narrative it it, it made me sort of like i have to think a little bit about the killing joke again especially in the context of uh, i feel like of tv shows like the flash for instance where we're 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 assuming this is not a this is not a passion project this is like being made for a lot of it's it's been deemed a good like they're gonna make money off this or they're trying to make money off of this dude i bet it is i bet it is someone's passion project i bet there's like dude i bet the writer like honestly so 
I bet the writers like love working on the. I would love to be a writer on the Flash. Are you kidding me? That would become my passion project. I would like be able to look at people on the street and be like, "Yeah, I I wrote the Flash. I know it's fucking terrible, right? But like, isn't it wild? Like that would that would fill my day." Um, you know, that's a fair point. I feel like I'm actually going to start looking at these shows differently now because I often get in this mood of like, I need to watch stuff that is actually good. <laughs> So, so, and so I get tired of watching, you know, the good doctor and his, his very special power is very, <laughs> yeah, his powers. powers and like, be like, I think, I think a normal woman can love you. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I end up, and I end up rejecting that. I stuff. think especially because they're multi, it's a multifaceted thing. Right. So like call of duty, a lot of people don't really give a shit like talk like it's all oh, it's just like a triple a shooter or whatever and i don't i don't particularly like call of duty myself more of a more of a more of a tetris guy more of a mario guy you know i'm kind of an old school gamer you know i'm just kind of like a video game boy uh except he hits zelda i do not i do not enjoy zelda it's because wait, wait the, why it's he's silly all the wizards and the prince of Himes, they suck dude they do Uh-oh. looks like you don't like wizards and princesses as much as you do dude I love wizards. I, well, you take that back, Walt. You take that back. <laughs> you take that back right now on this podcast. Okay, so when I said I wanted to defend contrarianism, Sway and Tori are super manly and they are like unaffected <laughs> by context. So they're going to tease me for this. But if you get called a contrarian, sometimes it puts you off. In fact, I don't know how much you guys knew me before we actually like really started hanging out, but... There was a phase in my life in university, I stopped listening to music and movies completely. I remember I was walking down the, like, main drag of our college campus, like, in my trench coat, smoking a cigarette that I probably fished out of an ashtray. And it was you and a bunch of your friends, one of which was, like, the daughter of one of the, like, KFC super execs or something. And she, like, looked over at me and, like, was like, wow, smoking cigarettes? You just like gave me this look that was like so contemptuous, and I was—I literally thought in my head, "So these are where the nerds hang out at Goucher, huh? These are the fucking losers." Okay, cool, cool, cool. And I just kept walking. I—I I sometimes wonder if Suede mixed me up with another Asian because I definitely was smoking cigarettes then. So, uh, dude, I swear to God, I remember. <laughs> I remember it was you. I remember it was you because because your your ex was there too. Okay, okay. So it wasn't me. And you—you've told me this, but it was because people would call you a contrarian for liking these art house films and it made you feel bad right yeah i admit leaving that friend group was one of the reasons why i went back into films and music but also a lot of it has to do with crj really i will say there there have been moments in my life where i've i have distanced myself from certain pieces of whatever i enjoy because people have uh talked smack about them and i I think once you get outside of like this point in your life where you're trying to really sediment your identity and instead you sort of like reach a space where you acknowledge that your identity's in flux that you can like start like for instance i i felt really weird talking about lolita i still do i still don't bring it up a whole lot to people but like if someone's gonna ask me if i like lolita i'm gonna say yes right to whereas like for a little while i thought i was not supposed to like it i i totally feel this way about music as well i mean i i yeah, there's definitely a large extent to which I just I just love to li- to know about and to like music that very uh, few other people have heard about. And it's, it's not like a oh I know I know the thing that you don't, and I'm like no, I that doesn't sound music. douchey at all, dude. You're not a douche at all. You're super <laughs> not a douche. Well, no, a part of it a part of it is well, a I genuinely love discovering new music that I've never heard of, 
and I love finding weird things. And here's the other thing that I realized that it, why it's not douchey. Because when I have talked to other people who have this tendency and like to do this too, we don't we don't try and like one up each other. We just sh we just share. We just share. Yeah, things. it's an act of sharing. You know, we're like, oh, have you heard of this? Have you heard of this? And it's really fun to hear about stuff that you've never heard of before that now you can get to listen to and experience. And and I guess it does make you feel a little bit special that it's like, it's not the thing that everybody knows, you know? It, but it, is, it isn't just that. That's, yeah, most people know who Carly Rae Jepsen is. So it's clearly not solely that in of itself. And there's tons of things that people haven't heard of that aren't good. Like this podcast. Lots of people haven't heard about it. It's really a bad, it's bad. Yeah, this episode's pretty bad because of me. No, what do Sorry, you know? Guys. Only I'm allowed to say that. You have to say it's good, Walt. You're oh, the contrarian. You're the contrarian. <laughs> Tori, do you have a favorite Carly Rae Jepsen album? Uh, yeah, I think my favorite Carly Rae Jepsen album is the one where she's wearing the um, the black garbage bag mm -hmm, mm -hmm, dress. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a dress, but it looks like kind of looks like a garbage bag. It's called. Final Obsessions. Oh yeah, Final Obsessions. That's a Final good one. Final Obsessions. That's the. It, it's it's actually a concept album referencing the Black Parade, right? It's about it's about the life of a milk carton. The the milk carton that that Gerard Way stands on in the Welcome to the Black Black Parade yes, music exactly. video. I I think my favorite Kelly Ray Jepsen album is Christmas Smooches Under the Sea, which is another uh, another <laughs> another concept album of hers. Uh, all about kissing mermaids. The concept is she's struggling to kiss the mermaids because she can't breathe underwater. So she has to wear a giant, like, old-school diving bell suit. And finally, at the end, she removes her helmet and kisses a mermaid. But the pressure from underwater causes her head to implode and, and go into the mermaid's mouth. What, 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 I think the final song on that album is Head Head Implosion for You. Yeah, can you sing the chorus? Head explosion, head explosion in your mouth. My, 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 my mouth and then dj khaled comes in and he's like explosion in your mouth explosion in your mouth explosion in your mouth it's great it's actually the only dj khaled music i enjoy i've heard that's also a metaphor for uh orgasm for someone who had one of the greatest one-hit wonders <laughs> I went, no, wait 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 i like carly ray jepson it is not all that great of a, a one-hit wonder. There are so much, so many better one-hit wonders than fucking Call Me Maybe. Oh, I mean, like, it gets played in shopping malls all the time. I mean, so does Wonderwall. That's an interesting thing, too. Like, it was really big for a while to shit on Oasis. Um, yeah. yeah, it's true. I, I like that album. Like, it's a good album. I don't listen to it a lot. Okay, Wonderwall is is not the only good song on that album. You know, you want to know how I feel about, actually, is Chumbawamba. Everyone knows Tub Thumping. But that fucking album got me through so much. All of Tub Thumping. Like, I, that was like when I dropped out of college. And I was like very much not in my right mind. And I, I would just like listen to that album. And Tub Thumping, the, the, that song, I'll get knocked down but I get up again. That really helped me because I was like, I will get back up again. But there's also, there's a song. I can't remember the title, but the chorus goes, There are those who spend the night under bridges. And I was like, yes, that I don't know why that was important to me at that moment. But I was like, yeah, I got this. I got this, especially because when I first heard it, I thought it said gnomes instead of those. So to me, the song will always be there were gnomes who spend the night under bridges. And I was like, that's all I need. You know, that's actually kind of reminds me of aspects of like your writing sway, because I know you like to put these um, epigraphs and, and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. you use these like very funny 
uh, epigraphs from weird sources. And I could totally imagine reading a story of yours being like, whatever, something like super uh, emotional, like people live under bridges. Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my the 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 short story I'm trying to get published right now are the two epigraphs is Deleuze from Anti Oedipus, uh, like so, and then um, uh, Goldfingers, uh, a yeah. song from Goldfingers album. Yeah, uh, you those sent me that <laughs> two way. epigraphs. Going back to the contrarian thing, do you think that like there's a way to be a contrarian or to like these things without having to be having to do it so much through just a negation? People get tired of that person who's like. Yeah, that sucks. I don't, you know, I don't know. So there's, there's a, there, there's like kind of an unspoken rule in the bookstore, which is that you never talk shit about a book because a customer might love it and you don't want to hurt the customer's feelings. Oh, you don't want to hurt the, you want to hurt calf, calf, capital. Oh, 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 Mr. Monsanto. Let me goose step my way through the bookstore. Uh, no, but like. Not only is it, like, gonna make them not spend money, but, like, also it's just a dick thing to do. Yeah. My, my technique is that I will say, like, so, for instance, a, a young person came in today looking for Where the Crawdads Sing. People love that book. I, I didn't get it. Uh, so, and she was like, have, have you, do you have a copy of it? And I'm like, no. And she was like, oh, it's so good. You need to read it. And I was like, yeah, a bunch of people really liked it. It's come, it's, like, it's been super popular. And so that way I don't have to be like... Yeah, there's like not a single wizard in it, and the writing is dumb. So no, I'm not going to read this, friend. But but Swade, it has topped the New York Times fiction bestsellers of 2019 and of 2020. Dude, it took so long to come out in paperback <laughs> because of how popular it was. My strategy when people like things that I think are dumb or that I cannot begin to enjoy is I will either repeat what they've said or I will say how much other people like it and then when they're like so what kind of stuff do you like to read and i'm like well i'm reading this collection of czech extreme horror that i'm really enjoying i had to take it off the shelves at the bookstore on account of all the super brutal shit that happens in it but i really like it and then they then they're like oh okay and they slowly start walking backwards and they're like i'm not because i think because i think there's the opposite there's the opposite that can happen right that I sometimes find myself falling into the trap into is particularly in terms of philosophy books of being like, well, Deleuze really likes these authors and quotes these people a lot. So I should go read this stuff too. Right? Like that's the same trap as being like, Oh, well everyone, the, the New York times said it was the, the best fiction book. of no, 2019. So I, I don't think that's the same. I don't think that's the same at all. Like, I think so it, for instance, I think it has similar problems because when you go into reading it, you're not going in for the purpose of being like, well, let's see what I get out of it. You're going in saying, oh, well, this person was inspired. I have to find the inspiration. I have to, I know this is greatness. And so you're approaching it like you've already made up your mind about it in some way. But on the other hand, every horror novel I've ever read that has a quote by either Poppy Z. Bright or Kath Koja on the back, I've enjoyed the hell out of. Like, I, I think if you really like someone's work you're gonna you tend to enjoy the things they enjoy. And I don't think this is true of everyone. King is a really good example of someone who will slap his name on the back of any trash book. And so like there will be books that like Stephen King's like this is Mirrorland is another is one that King King has a blurb about on the back of the book. And I like picked it up and I was like, I don't get this. This is not my thing. What are you what why do you think this is so good, King? You're that Stephen. <laughs> that yeah, that's right, Stephen King. We're coming for you. But but do you know what I'm talking about though? This impediment of feeling like it's like, this is, this is the deep stuff. Like, oh, well, you go down this rabbit hole of discovering things that are out there and different. And then you feel this impediment to engage with them and that they're going to be amazing and interesting. But you're, 
you've already made up your mind that you like them instead of finding something in them on your own terms kind of thing. Which is not to say that you can't approach them because another author suggests them, but that like you shouldn't go into it with that. It shouldn't be a, a, like an obligatory, like, oh, I have to read this, be and it's going to be great because of this. And I think that's like another a problem that can lead to, which is which is similar, I think, to the other side. That's fair. I, I think Walter and I are not uh, sheep like you are, Tori, and so we can kind of decide things on our own. We're not uh, so so weak in our brains. I think you should feel bad for who you are. I do. <laughs> I wake up with a deep guilt. A deep Jewish, a deep Jewish guilt every morning. Oh, dude, don't get me started on the Jewish guilt. Well, like I feel like Ka I feel like Kafka is a good example of this. Not that Kafka is at all bad. Kafka is great, but a lot of people I feel like are just they feel uh, the need to have to read Kafka. Yeah, but that's like I like Kafka. Don't talk to me about Kafka, bitch. I've already read Kafka. It is worth talking about. No, fuck that. Saying, like, There's so much more interesting things to talk about than Kafka. That's doing away with the fact that. You can't have like a fresh take on it or you can't have something interesting to say. Look, if you all right, here's the only way you can talk with me about Kafka is if you've read anything other than Metamorphosis, because that's what these fuckers do. These fucking trilby wearing fuckers come into my bookstore and they're like, oh, Kafka, yeah, the Metamorphosis. And they like go into these like really uninteresting hot takes on it. And I'm like, motherfucker, I've read more books in my fucking weekend than you're gonna read in your goddamn nah, life. I disagree. You know what I think is actually the issue? It's good, because I was sounding like a major douche. So thank you for cutting me off. No, no, this is gonna sound really douchey, too. Okay. But okay good, I good, think good. the fucking issue with people who approach you with something you had a conversation, like, six or seven times already, is that most of the times when they approach you with, like, oh, do you like Kafka? They're trying to see if you can be vulnerable first in the conversation, when you've already been vulnerable six or seven times, and you're sick of being vulnerable about the same fucking author or yeah, artist. And this, I think this goes back to what I think we all keep repeating in different ways, which is just, just like, be invested in something, like something, because there's something in it that you like. If you don't like it, if there's something in it that you disagree with, that's okay too, right? Like regardless of what the, the canons or what the smart people or what the even the contrarian people want to say. That, you know, I'm saying like that, that, is, that is the problem that I think that keeps coming up. No, wait, I want to go back to being a douche, because I don't agree with you guys at all. This is my asshole perspective. I, like, am so tired of people who want me to be impressed because they've read Metamorphosis and The House of Leaves. But that's, but no, but he's saying, he's saying that th those people wouldn't be impressed. They wouldn't, you would they wouldn't be trying to impress you because they'd be like, oh, this was so crazy. I have never read. They would be genuinely naive. In actually, their no, that's true. Being... No, you're right. I, I think that is a much better experience. And I do I do actually really like it when someone comes in the bookstore and it's like, I read House of Leaves and I really loved it. And like part of me is like, wow, baby's first postmodern horror novel. Congratulations. Uh, and then I stifle that voice. And then I'm like, here, if you like that, you should check out Cypher by Kath Koja. And, and they're like, oh my God. And you know, like, th like that's really engaging. But if you want me to like, kiss your ass because you know the title of infinite jest i'm gonna like throw you into the sun do you think this is our most yes. douchey episode yet or uh open yes. yeah, it, yeah this is this is this is the most douchey opening i didn't want to make this conversation that douchey but the reason why i think crj is so e such an epitome of exactly what i'm talking about though in the music scene sorry because revolutionaries are probably fucking contrarian i apologize all revolutionaries like susan b anthony susan b anthony why is that like the why is that like the paradigmatic uh, example of 
contrarianism. Because Susan B. Anthony, she said no. No, not fucking fuck off. <laughs> she, she said, said no. She said We're- to drugs? She said no to drugs. She said no to drugs. We're putting stars on this flag. And she invented the flag. Contrarianism. Yeah, she said we need to take these drugs off this flag. We need to get these sweet pot leaves, sweet pot leaves and dope bongs off this flag for America. She said, listen, I like taking fat, fat fucking, fat fucking rig riffs. But listen, as much as the next, as much as the next lady. Susan B. Anthony actually invented weed. She's like the Johnny Appleseed of marijuana. She was a blacksmith. She would make bongs out of (laughs) solid iron. Out of out of out of cannonballs that the the um the, the Nazis would fire. That's she would repurpose them into bombs. Right. <laughs> she lost her, her the bottom half of her leg from a yeah. cannonball. And a cannonball she, fighting the Nazis. Yeah. She actually killed Hitler. She with killed her bong. She, with her bong. With her, with her she, solid she steel bong. It's yeah. true. She never cleaned it. She would she she never show it off. She'd say, "See that? That's, Look at this. That's blood. You could you could take a dry hit smoke, off of smoke Susan that. You say smoke yeah. that right there. Smoke you could take." Blood. You could take a dry hit off of Susan B. Anthony's bong and still get super duper high from all the res. Certified nasty gal. Certified nasty. Nasty woman. Did you know that actually, uh, <laughs> did you know that Hillary Clinton is the reincarnation of Susan B. Anthony? Who is Susan B. Anthony? She like invented the flag and killed the Nazis and made a bong. Tori, we've been talking about her. So as we all know, uh, a new Batman movie has come out starring Robert Patterson as the Batman. And I am excited enough to maybe go see it in theaters, even though it's a fucking blighted plague wasteland. I think I'm just going to like double mask and sit like far away from everyone and see if I can't watch it safely. Uh, Because I'll admit it, I'm a little bit of a Batman fanboy. But I feel like if you bring a critical eye to Batman media, it can be fun and also make you seem like less of a douche or way more of a douche yeah i kind of agree no so so that is there there are people who need to chill out about batman you are allowed to talk about batman maybe once every four hangouts unless it's like your (laughs) batman friends right every every full moon Every full every, moon. Every full moon. You are not... Batman is... You, and I think this is true of everything. Like, you can't just bring up cars every time you're fucking hanging out, right? Like, I, like everyone loves Larry the Cable Guy. Everyone loves Owen Wilson. But you're not allowed to just constantly talk about cars. The only thing you can bring up every single fucking conversation is sports ball. Sports ball and dino trucks. And weather. And weather. You're always allowed to talk about That's that. actually such a good point. Holy shit, you are always allowed to talk about weather. Half of half of my interactions with customers these days are about the weather. It's so much. It's, it's the so weather is very important. Though. It is. It's it is important, Tori. Uh, any any more any more hot takes about the weather, Tor? Well, I actually had a conversation oh with someone else about. We're not this. talking about the weather. So how is the weather? I don't want to talk about the weather. <laughs> I want to talk about Batman. It's I, I've only talked about Batman once on the podcast. Damn it! I want to talk about it again. It's been unseasonably cold. That is one hundred percent not true. You actually probably talk about Batman one every four podcasts. So exactly okay, well, I, I like Batman, <laughs> but I, I will say so. I I'm gonna next episode. I'm gonna be talking about the new Batman film. And so I wanted to watch uh, the beginning of one of a new of the old school franchise. 
Um, and it's one I loved as a kid. So I was excited to watch this movie. And I, I think what I want to talk about is how to start off. What makes a good Batman movie? Because there are really four key components. There's the setting, the Batman himself, the main antagonist, and the way the action and philosophy of the physical actions are presented in the film. So all all things about all movies. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, but but so the, but they have to be specific, right? So for instance, this this Batman stars Michael Keaton as Batman and has Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Batman is fucking badass when he has issues but doesn't let those issues swallow him up. Like the worst, the, the two ends of the bad Batman spectrum are like Michael Keaton. And he's just like this, like uninteresting, unnuanced playboy. He finds out spoilers that the Joker killed his parents in the movie. And then he's like, I'm going to kill the Joker. And like he like goes from just like punching dudes to like being upset. It, he, Michael Keaton is terrible as Batman. On the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> you have Batman comics that are so fucking dark and Batman is just like a, a wreck, a whiny wreck. And it, it, it becomes unpleasant to read because Batman can't handle his shit. And the, Batman is at his best when he has things he has to struggle with and can still push forward. Um, the animated series, I think, is so far my favorite iteration of Batman. He's so fucking great in this. The other, the other key element of a good Batman movie is you need a really solid antagonist. And Michael Keaton sucks in this movie, but Jack Nicholson is fantastic. He you know, plays this, like, kind of psychopathic crime boy who gets dumped into a vat of acid on accident by Batman and then becomes the Joker. And before he becomes the Joker and he's just, like, a, a dickhead crime guy, his voice is very flat. There's not a whole lot of affect. It's a little bit like the beginning of Shining. But he moves his face really well. And so he, he makes for a good villain even before he becomes the Joker. And then when he becomes the Joker, he comes out full force. Like, almost to a detriment. He's, like, so wild in this movie he he says some of the craziest shit he has like no fucks given he's always like acting 10 percent and it actually sometimes makes for a nice interaction between him and batman because of how flat michael keaton is it kind of like enhances how wild the joker is the only problem is that sometimes he gets into silliness territory in this movie and the, 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 the section I'm thinking of is there's, so Prince did a lot of music for this movie. Like there are two different bespoke Prince songs in this film. And one of them is when the Joker breaks into an art museum with his goons in a, in a silly art chapeau and is like spray painting stuff on the paintings while Prince is singing in the background and they're like dancing and Jack Nicholson is like knocking stuff over and he's like kind of tubby and it it almost is a bad scene until so the reason he's there is because he's like into this reporter woman whose name is Vicky Vale uh, who's like another Batman staple and he like wants to seduce her and he sits down and brings over the girl that's his like first romantic uh, his like romantic partner from before he turned into the Joker and he has her sit down and she's wearing this like fake mask, this like white face hiding mask. And he's like talking about how he's an artist of murder and an artist of violence. And he's like, see, this is my latest piece. And he takes off her mask and her face has like been completely bleached white and like scarified. And it goes from like funny jokes and games to like something like really dark and ugly. And so there's, there's like a nice push and pull, which I think I want to, I think is, not only good a good antagonist, but also gets to the sort of like philosophy of the action. There there has to be this like level of silliness that 
almost overcomes how dark it's supposed to be, right? If you look at Death in the Family, which is another famous Batman run, there's a section where he beats, I can't remember which Robin it is, Jason Todd maybe? He beats him to death with a crowbar. And there's a lot of stuff around it happened that's just like silly Joker crimes. But when you get to these panels, it's just like him just wailing on a child with a crowbar. And it is only palatable, I think, because of how zany the rest of it is. Um, and how zany the Joker is, right? Because otherwise it would be too much. Um, and it would be closer to like something like the Watchmen, right? Like Watchmen does this where it's like, oh my god, Jesus fucking Christ. It's like almost almost too dark. I actually love the the like um fuck, I forgot. The, the Christopher episode. Nolan actually. Batmans, probably, right? Yes, yes, yes. The newest ones. Uh, they're good. The I I I mean, you can't Heath like Heath Ledger when I saw the Heath Ledger Joker Batman. Yeah, the Dark Knight. I mean, like, I don't know. I saw it when I was was I was young and I was like, this is fucking amazing. I, I still love that movie and the Joker. I mean, it's a good movie. It doesn't, it's not quite zany enough for me. That's the problem. There's not enough, like, weirdness in it. It's, like, more like a crime thriller than anything. And I think, and I think this goes maybe just to our different preferences where I'm like, yes, good, very serious, very serious. My favorite part of that movie is when the Joker slams the dude's head on the table and it, the pen ends up in his forehead. I was like, that's wild. I'm into this. But, like, there's so much of that movie where the Joker's I think you're just making like, an assumption. You're, you're introducing a dualistic term about zany vs. seriousness. And you said it's because the, it captures the essence of the comics. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about here. Let me, let me rephrase then. So I think, I think what makes a good Batman comic... And a good Batman story is you have a character who's so serious, has no jokes. Batman's a very serious person. He's very serious. He doesn't make jokes. And then you compare it to his villains who are these insane caricatures, right? People who like, if you described them outside of the context of their comic book, they would seem like jokes, right? Like one of his main antagonists is like a short guy who's obsessed with birds and has like an umbrella with a sword at the end right like that's super silly but then when you get the penguin's backstory that he was like this kid who was bullied for the way he looked comes from a rich family and then his family fell to ruins and he learned how to do crime right and he's like he's got all these like weird ugly little psychological niches and he's also incredibly cruel you have this juxtaposition between something like very silly and something very serious, right? The crocodile, um, Killer Croc is his name, is another example. If I was just like professional wrestler who turned into an alligator man, that sounds like a goof, right? But then when you have Killer Croc like jumping out of the sewers, consuming police officers and like leaving their bones to like, you know, rise up from the, the drain pipes, like you've, you've got this like really weird push and pull between super silly and super serious. And I think that the Joker is kind of like the, the, the top point of that, right? Where he's like a clown who makes jokes and like he has like chattering teeth as a weapon or like boxing glove guns as a weapon, right? It's like, oh, fun and game, super silly. And then you see him like beat a kid to death with a crowbar. It, it tickles both like weird, bad parts of my brain where it's like violence and ugliness and then also like jokes. Like it, it does it does it for me in a way that like a lot most superhero media doesn't. I get what you're saying from like if we want to look at just like almost like a like a, a horror media horror literature perspective, right? Like there is there's something more terrifying about a, a character that is that is so flippant yeah. about yeah they're very gruesome violence. And I also think it does make it closer to horror. And I think a lot of Batman is 
very reminiscent of gothic novels like and like the gothic aesthetic like like you know like all these tall spires and like madmen and like poisons right these are all things that are like you know themes from the you know the the first pieces of genre writing right like pre Jane Austen genre writing which is gothic novels right even the 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 Joker's character design is based off of a Victor Hugo novel which is you know tail end of gothic novels is you know Victor Hugo's work this is what i think superhero stories if you're going to put a trend on them for me they all want to ask questions about justice. So I'm a little curious how this dualism is related to that. So I will say that I think the best Batman stories are the ones that show that justice is not flat, right? That a lot of the characters that Batman has to deal with and fight against are victims in some way, shape, or form, right? That's not true of all of them. The Penguin is probably not that much of a victim, but... I am a victim, you are a victim. You are a victim of my ire, of my rage, of my fury. No, I'm saying I'm the penguin. You are. If we were going to be Batman villains, you would be the penguin. What would I? What would I be? Uh, Calendar Man, because you suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tori could be the Riddler. I feel like I would just be. I feel like I would just be Batman. Actually. No, you would. You would be the Riddler. You would be the Riddler. Or because I'm boring. Oh. Yeah, because the Riddler thinks he's so funny. But he and can the rid- only quote riddles. And the riddle, <laughs> both of us would actually be the Riddler because he suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh. That's too real. Too real. <laughs> Besides the um, the Christopher Nolan Batman, the only other Batman exposure I've had is the Adam West Batman series, which I used to watch religiously. It's, as it's a, child. a very good show. That is also accurate to uh, the Golden Age Batman comics. Like Adam West Batman is very much like OG Batman. But I, 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 I want to get to something that Walter said. I mean, so, Walter, you, you were saying that um, the, the, the dualism that exists in Batman is that justice exists for the people of Gotham, but not for the criminals, right? And that a lot of them are victims of... I mean, the, the easy trope is that they're victims of mental illness, right? Or, or tragic circumstances. Clayface is a good example. Clayface was an actor who got hooked on... Who got super scarified... His face got like ruined and he couldn't be a good actor anymore because part of his appeal was he was very handsome. And so he started getting this like cream from these mobsters that would let him like mess around with his face like clay to make him like have a beautiful face again. And he got hooked on it and he went to go steal some from the mobsters. And so they poured all the clay in his body and face and down his mouth and it mutated him into a giant mud monster and he like couldn't be a person again. Another good example is Scarface. Oh, that's Tori's favorite yeah. <laughs> villain from the Dark Knight, right? No, you're thinking of Two Face. Two Face is a good example. Oh. Um, Two Face is a good example. <laughs> Two Face. Uh, Harvey Dent has repressed <laughs> repressed rage from having a, a rough childhood. Doesn't love what Batman's doing, but lets it happen because he's like, you know, this is how we 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 need him to do justice. Because of the way Batman got the criminals, uh, one of the guys gets to throw acid on Harvey Dent's face, turning him into Two Face. And, you know, making the split personality thing happen. And Harvey Dent is also very good friends with Bruce Wayne. So in the end of the day, when Batman puts Harvey back in Arkham Asylum, sure, people aren't getting murdered, but a man is suffering because of chemical imbalances in his brain and childhood trauma. And Bruce is upset because his friend who he loves is in jail and in a lot of ways is changed forever and gone. So I think that's like what really engages me about can Batman I, can, is that tell me if this example is really trash i am wondering if this is like a little similar to the way static shock deals with his villains because the whole mess of that series or 
uh, manga, not manga, fuck. It's a cartoon. Uh, comic. A cartoon and a comic, yeah, yeah. I love the Static Shock manga. The, the, the haunting, <laughs> the big trauma of it, the whole thing is the whole place is suffering from a environmental problem. Yeah. So Static Shock is really saving everyone from that environmental problem. But the villains are the ones who are technically very affected by it. You can argue even more. They're victims. Yeah, no, I think that's what, and Static Shock is also, there are a few episodes that interact with systematic violence and, like, like why why you see, like, gang violence appear. Um, it's not just like, oh, man, these scary gangsters. It's like, no, there's, like, a reason why gang violence exists. So Static Shock is another, and that's a piece of media that I, that's a, a TV series I fucking absolutely love. Be, again, because, the, you know, it shows that justice is not the good guys win. It's that someone still has to lose. And I actually think the least interesting Batman pieces are when it's like he has to defeat the ultimate evil. It's like who cares? That's not fun. Give me, give me something challenging. Bringing it back to the 1989 Batman movie, the main villain's really good, and the setting is really fantastic. It's very gothic. It's like very smoky. You know, the city is oppressive. All the bad, like criminal stuff that happens is like kind of creepy, right? The Joker uses Smilex gas, but Batman is so boring. And he also kills people, which is another central theme. Batman can never kill anyone. He has to struggle with this. And it, it actually is a detriment because if he just killed the Joker, a lot of less bad things would happen. But but his own, I would call it a mental baggage, mental illness even, keeps him from doing what he should be doing, which is ending the life of the Joker because of all the bad things he does. You know, Bat- Batman struggles with his actions because he could just end these people's lives. It would be better for justice. But he won't do that because justice is not flat. That is that is the thing I, I think I mainly took away from the Batman films as a kid. Even the Christopher Nolan ones, which you seem to not like. They're 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 super good. They're just I'm a I'm actually a contrarian, that's what it is. Everyone else likes these movies, so I don't. But as a kid, right, like I took away from it right, exactly that thing of like, oh wait, this is weird or this is challenging me to think about characters in a different kind of way, in a way that other superhero movies weren't and so that's why it became like my favorite movie for oh i don't know whatever amount of time right because of those 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 same kinds of things i think that that they they appeal to me more so in that way rather than like you know all the avengers have to be the purple the purple monster and you know because he's gonna kill half the planet and oh well he did it oh well then we we did it we saved him because because any death is wrong but in reality like Kronos, Kranos, Kramos, Thanos. I don't Thanos. Probably, probably good. Probably a good, like, uh, probably a good idea to lower population levels. You know, <laughs> like the Avengers just like set us right back into devastating climate change. Yeah, late change stage capitalist and, climate change. <laughs> like, fuck off, Avengers. The Ur Batman film, the one that I think is not even a film. It was the animated series. I think the animated series does everything that the Christopher Nolan series does, but also has zaniness. And I, I, I think the other thing is Heath Ledger's Joker was very good, but in my heart, the Joker will always be Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill's portrayal of the Joker in the animated series is Dude, just like, I want to hear so... you shit on the Nolan okay. fucking films, not in a way that it's just worse. I want it to hear it like fucking substantially okay. so why he, it's like Here's worse. why. There's an episode in Batman the Animated Series where the Joker poisons the oceans outside Gotham and makes all the fish have horrible smiles like him and then tries to patent these fish. 
And then the patent office is like, you can't patent a fish. And so the Joker tries to blow up the building. It's hilarious, but also people are in danger. And like in the same episode, like everyone's terrified and he's totally cruel. The Nolan films are just people doing like fucked up shit to each other. It's like if you're eating a sandwich and it's just like roast beef, roast beef, roast beef. If you don't get to a little chili pepper every couple bites, it's a boring sandwich. You know what it is? I've heard this fucking conversation about the complexity of Batman villains being more fucking complex than any other villain in other superhero movies. What are you saying that is a little different than that conversation? So I just think there it's I think it's a good I think it's an exemplar representation, right? I, I think there there are other comics that do it really well. I mean, Ichi the Killer, the characters are not all that nuanced, but the conversation they're always having is really interesting, right? This this idea of like masochism versus uh, like pleasure and violence. What really is masochism? What really is violence? So something like Berserk, where your main villain is the absolute fucking extreme of what the Joker is, except he's not. He said he doesn't make jokes, but his absurdity, his absurdity, almost makes yes. him kind of funny. This is like what I'm trying to get to. I'm a little confused why this zaniness of batman is cooler than fucking griffin in berserk i would say first of all i would say that i think you've pointed out something really really valuable which is that there are a lot of comics that do batman's narrative right that bat batman is not the only one who does this the only here the, the only real thing i would say that's different between batman and berserk besides the fact that there are like good animated adaptions of batman and there's not, in my opinion, very many good animated adaptions of Berserk. I would say one of one of the key differences. I don't. There there aren't enough jokes for me in Berserk. I love it. I love Berserk, but there 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 aren't enough jokes. But, but that is why, in the beginning, I was asking you about the zany versus serious because it sounds like that zany is so fucking important to you, and I haven't recognized exactly what it is yet. If that makes sense, like I'm still a little lost on what it is besides it makes me laugh it's the it's the piquant right it's the weird like it, it's like the fish with the smiling faces the hout gout right what is that french like the 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 hout gout hout gal you know what i'm talking about it's you like... mean uh oat cuisine what are you talking about yeah 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 <laughs> poutine poutine no, po- no, well, I think poutine falls under this like classification. It's yeah, it's like a flavor that's so like like really moldy cheese, right? Like really really stinky cheese. It's like good, but it's like so intense that it's almost your attraction is your no. This is this is not right. You are wrong. This is not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> your attraction. It's because it's so over the top that there's an over the topness that that is uh, attractive. I would say that's more berserk. Yeah, I I, I agree. Berserk. No, berserk but I'm saying is so that it, it doesn't because no because that fits because that but though but that fits into a into a a category that fits into a a certain style like the kind of overwhelmingness of flavor right is like it shouldn't be good. But it is. But see, I don't think that's Batman at all. Sorry, I, let me say this, and then s- you can fucking tell me I'm wrong. Right. How about this? See, the thing is, I, I'm asking Squid this question ongoingly, and it sounds like I'm just being mean, but I'm not. There's something for me that I hear from what he's saying that I think is very interesting, and I'm wondering if he agrees with it. But I didn't want to speak okay. for him, so it just now we're gotten to this point. I'm just gonna okay, fucking please say do. it. I think there's a smallness in Batman that you really enjoy. Compared to any other comic about 
justice. Usually things about justice deal with a largeness. And there's something small about the fact that Joker is fucking mad because he can't get a patent about fish. Yes. But this poutine thing you're talking about is like this overwhelmingness, this overboard. And I think it's almost the opposite. Tori, so I think I think what you're saying is that it's like so extreme and so challenging that it is engaging. I think but for, for me, that is berserk. The, the world is so dark, so oppressive. It's not just that the villains are bad. It's that like... The world and the characters are living in a very, very shitty, unpleasant situation. It is unending in how dark it is. I do not think Batman is like that because there is a, a spice for every sugar that's in it. I think Walter might be right about the smallness. I, I don't. I, I'm not interested in saving the world. Saving the world is boring. But when you have a character who's like. I'm only stealing things that are themed around penguins. Or like, you know, I'm going to steal the most wonderful egg. The most wonderful jewel-encrusted egg. And I'll kill anyone who gets in the way. Right, but then he actually is. Like, he's actually willing to, like, kill a child or blow up a building. And- yeah, he, he's going to, you know, the penguin's going to, the penguin's going to, like, stab someone to death just to get, like, a fucking egg. You know, that's, like, wild. That's wild. That's crazy. And Batman has to deal with it. And Batman doesn't have to deal with... I mean, there are some Batman comics with, like, absolute world-shaking shenanigans. The last one I ever cared about, it's been in recent years, is about an evil Batman from a dark shadow dimension who gets together a bunch of other evil Batman people from other dimensions to, like, destroy the good universe. And it's, like, it would be also very silly if it wasn't for, like how wild the other Batman, the the evil Batmans are. The, the main one is the bat who laughs, who like Batman finally kills the Joker. And as he does it, it like sprays out a venom, like a gas that infects Batman with the Joker. And he becomes a Batman Joker. And at first it's useful because he's killing villains. And like, but people are like, oh no, Bruce is like becoming unhinged. And then he's like, no, I'm just like Batman Joker now. And again, it's super silly, but there's a panel where like all of the Batman's team members, like Batgirl and Nightwing are there. They're like, Bruce, we need to talk about this. We need to help you. And he's like, I know we need to talk about this. And then he turns around with two submachine guns and he just shoots them all to death. And it's like very graphic. And so again, it's this like total silliness. Like, are you kidding me? He's turning into the Joker. But there's also like, a, there, there's like, you know, stuff next to it and in front of it that makes it, like, accent the sugar to the spice. I watched this movie, The House, that I've been meaning to watch for a while, but I actually really enjoyed it, and so it was three different stories, three different stop-motion animation, uh, films all all written by the same writer. It was actually written by this screenwriter Edna Walsh, who's apparently mostly does uh, writes plays. He he wrote all three acts, and different people directed them, but they're all stop motion animation. The stop motion animation adds a really interesting uh, style to it. Where I mean, it's done very very well. So there's no loss of it's it's not like the stop motion kind of stop motion animation where you kind of have to do the work to make the story. I'd say the main thing it adds is it feels disturbingly, it feels uncanny at points because of how close to reality, but not real. And so each story uh, is circulated, it circulates around this house. The first story, we see the house get built, the two stories following just kind of surround it. 
each story is kind of like a tragic story about this house. And in some sense, the house is haunted. The The first story is absolutely fucking terrifying. It's probably my favorite of the three. I would absolutely recommend Sway that you, you watch it. I you, You're not the first person to suggest this to me. They say it's like right in my wheelhouse. It's pretty... It's like the, the end is also... Okay, but the end is like, it's scary, but it's it's funny. So the premise is that like, there's this... It's like a very modest, slightly poor English family in the, living in the countryside with their daughter and then newly born daughter. And then like the, the husband's like extended family from London comes to visit and they're all terrible people who look down on him and they say like, you know, you had so much education, but you decided to do this with your life and your father was a drunk. And a lot of the, the film has to do with like this problem of inheritance you know, he's inherited this house that they're living in. He's inherited this furniture. He's inherited his his father's, like, being a failure at life. So the, the husband goes on, like, a drinking vendor and stumbles out into the forest. And we see him have this weird encounter, who we later learn is an architect. The architect builds the, the titular house. And the premises will we learn... Oh, he's just, he's just like a very singular artist. All he asks in return is that you must live here and you cannot live in your old house. Well, needless to say, things get weird. The architect kind of is revealed to be, he's like playing with these people as like a dollhouse. He, he changes the rooms as they live in them. He moves around the, the architecture of the house. It really reminded me of a lot of the horror, a lot of a uh, Junji Ito's horror in the sense of like obsession. Okay, okay. There's a lot of obsession on the part of the family members with certain ideals, ideals of wealth, ideals of what it means to be, you know, upper class intellectual. What that obsession kind of leads to in that not straight out horror way, but just like uncomfortable way. That that obsession just kind of continually builds. When that's also something you and I, and to a lesser extent Walt, also worry about, right? Like these are <laughs> yeah. these are these are our <laughs> problems, right? Is we're like right. neurotic academics, right? Exactly. I think right, and there's but there's something also I think so fucking scary about like what happens if you just let the human being do what the human being does and allow their brain to like kill itself obsess itself to the point of just you know some kind of death drive i think if i was going to be sort of a mad architect messing with people in a house if it was us three i think what i would do is i would constantly put walter's room on a different side next to touching tori's room. <laughs> that would probably drive me insane yes and so and i would also have walter's room always be next door to a liquor store. So you would just kill Walter. I mean, that's what the architect does in the first film, so... Oh, really? I mean, he's messing with them in order to destroy their lives. He's not messing with them to save them. Yeah, he, but but it's like a... It's like a fun... Yeah, again, it's like a funny thing. Well, Swave would be laughing if he was making me an alcoholic even more. He'd be like, ah! The architect laughs like Swave. He goes like, hee 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 I just think it'd be funny. I just think it'd be funny for Tori. You're like... And Walter's like drunk, and he's like, I want to sing the drum! I know th- this legitimately happened when we were living together. I'd be like, well, I need to go to bed, man. I'm tired. I got class in the morning. And you'd be like, okay, but first I want to sing the Dino Trucks theme song. I'd be like, okay, sing the Dino Trucks theme song. Like a child. You would sing it. And then I'd be like, okay, it's time for bed. I want to go to bed now. And you'd be like, no, I want to sing it again. And I'd be like, Walter, I want to go to bed. And like, no, one more <laughs> round. One more 
But so Tori would be like, oh my god, I hear them. So you would move your bed to the furthest wall to be like as far from it as possible. And the next night I will have moved the room next to the wall you're sleeping against. So you'd be like trying to sleep. and you. This is hear, not like, far off. Oh, I forgot to mention also another continuing theme of, of Junji Ito style horror that the parents in the first story turn into other objects. That's always so fun. Their bodies like slow, slowly, slowly become like these other objects, which really, really reminded me of Judy just or like, right? Like it, which is such like my obsession physically changes my body. Well, Cor- Coraline does that as well, right? There's like, th- like that's like one of my favorite elements of horror is like people's bodies like s- slowly shifting because it's it's very easy when you're in your own head to feel yourself shifting into an unpleasant space, right? Tori and I have both talked about this with each other like on the phone, like you're like getting like especially like when it's like really neurotic, but being able to like have a f- physical metaphor for that is always like super unsettling. Well, I really like Kafka's metamorphosis, dude. <sighs> <laughs> I'm, I'm shitting myself i'm so angry the other two stories are way more mild although equally as interesting and the last one is actually fairly heartwarming in the final one there's been a flood and um the waters are rising and it's this woman owns this the same house and she's trying to rent it out to tenants and she's trying to repair the house and rent it out more rooms but no one's paying rent because like this is the end of the world like the waters are rising and this is just like a, a place to, to to stay for a while until getting on a boat and moving onwards. But she's like, you know, very obsessed with, I have to restore the house. I have to hold on to this house. Like, like I said, I feel like inheritance and kind of the, the problems of obsession around inheritance around, I have to keep this thing and I have to, I have to make it good, you know, uh, being unable to let things go. The, the second one is, is probably the funniest one. It's about a rat that he is like a, it, it's like a, an anthropomorphic rat. Like a rat man, a rat boy. Yeah, right, in a rat world. And he's a builder, and he's trying to, again, restore this house to sell it. And he starts having this bug problem. And then he, and then he eventually finds people who seem like they want to buy it. They are two rats, but they suspiciously resemble the shapes of the bugs. So, like, one is tall and skinny, and the other is, like, short and fat. Just like the two bugs that we see. And so, of course, then in the end, it's just like the house is taken over by vermin, by rats that look like these vermin and by rats themselves. And again, like going to this idea of his own obsession with like making it really clean and pristine and selling it off just becomes like a place for, for roosting vermin. So all in all, I thought it was I thought it was great. I mean, like pretty. OK, maybe not great. It was good. It was pretty good. And. I would absolute uh, recommended watch. It's only like an hour and 30 minutes. The music too is actually very good. It has the same music all throughout. It has these kind of just like low singular, like cello notes. It sounds like kind of throughout uh, these very uncomfortably haunting scenes where you just get these shots of like these stop motion and a stop motion, like dolls, like eyes. Which is like very uncomfortable to look at a doll's eyes. You know, I think one of the reasons why this movie used stop motion is because it's actually a furry movie and it just didn't want to use humans with fursuits. Interesting take. Interesting <laughs> take. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a very interesting take. There are there are actually the second story is like anthropomorphic rats, the second story is anthropomorphic cats, and I will say this, 
there are two cat characters that are kind of attractive. Yeah, they're pretty hot. Also, the male rat in the second story, his ass is the best ass in that fucking movie. Uh, shout out to my little brother's partner. They got a fucking sick ass tattoo of Garfield pissing <laughs> on their leg. It's so fucking good. Also, shout out to uh, their very good friend who got a tattoo of Bobby Hill um, from from uh, King of the Hill with his knuckles raised up in the air and it says God rules on it. It's such a good tattoo. You you really liked Fantastic Mr. Fox too, didn't you, Tori? I never saw Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I know, I, I know that was. I am the furry here. I really like Zootopia, but then fucking we had a friend who said, "Oh, I get it. The buddy is racist," and it broke my heart. <laughs> I, I mean, like the cats. The cats aren't like super sexy. They're not like Judy Hopps, where it's like, "Damn, I'm gonna lose no. a little bit of cum right now out of my tip of my, no. my penis hole." But you would have an orgasm because of Judy Hopps, right, Tori? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plead the fifth. I'm like not gonna respond to that statement. Walter, you would, you would lose a little bit. You would toss a little bit. You would, you would toss a little bit of your oats for Judy Hopps, right? You finish a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's like dating Ivanka Trump or something. I don't know. I remember the only time we saw, I've seen Zootopia. We were watching it in a friend's dorm, who was weird like us but very handsome and very good at pretending to be a freak i mean pretending to be normal and so he would have all these normie friends who would come over and like they'd be like oh you're so smart so and so oh you're so cool and then we would get super wasted and show up in his room and like none of us would be wearing pants and we'd be like screaming about the sun and he would get mad at us because we like blew his cover and we were watching judy hops and I, i can't remember what one of us said but it was like we were asked to leave. I wasn't there. No, you weren't. You were done with us. We were drunk enough to where you were, like, not wanting to interact with us anymore. Uh, but so I, I don't remember the end of the movie. I don't think we got to finish it. So does she not end up being less racist at the end of the film? Isn't that, like, the moral is, like, you can be less racist. But that is the racism. That is the problem. Because the white character saves the day. Because the film is about racism, but who ends up saving the day? Who ends up saving the society? It's the fucking white character of judy hobbs okay okay it's not the fact that judy hobbs is racist and it's carnivores that's like problematic that like broke my heart i knew that when watching the movie yeah that's the plot of the movie yeah but what broke my heart is that judy hobbs had to be the one to save the day which is also why i was attracted to her so it just reminded me that yes i am attracted to the white savior i need a white savior woman to bring me out of colonialism because i can't (laughs) (laughs) Uh, why am i not a good enough white savior for you why can't i save you why can't you love me the way I love you, Walter, huh? Because you're not because you're not a woman. You're not a 110-pound white woman. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I should have stop having bad beauty standards. That's my problem. Just, yeah, uh, instead of a... I, I don't look like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Instead, I look like fucking... Uh, <laughs> the lead singer of modern baseball, according to Tori Lavender, <laughs> the fat, <laughs> shitty one. <laughs> you know, actually, Sarah Michelle Geller is the perfect example because if Sarah Michelle Geller came to me and was like, you know what, racism's not that real, but I love you, I'd probably be like, all right, let's date, let's see how it goes, because Sarah Michelle is kind of a Republican. She's kind of a shitty human Oh, is being. she really? I didn't know that. She's right-winger. Actually, you know what? Let me not just fucking throw out statements. Oh, so you're, you're just pulling shit out of your <laughs> You're just making shit up now. You're just like, I bet Sharon Michelle Geller like, hates any any form of ethnicity that's not white. And meanwhile, she's like, you're just, you're just making shit Why up. Why is... Hold on. Why are cats in particular so hot? 
Why is it cats? Like, I think we've been trained to think that cats are more attractive. You never want to fuck an anthropomorphic dog. Uh, 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 the internet would be very, 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 uh, unimpressed with your answer oh. and would disagree. I can think I just of- feel like I've seen, I feel like I see more cats. Here's what I think it is. I think mainstream stuff that has, like, sexy animal characters are cats. Oh, so I'm just, cats- I'm a fucking furry pleb. <laughs> No, but that's what it is because cats like slink around like they're they're traditionally feminine, right? Like for like the common man, it's like easy to see sexy, but like for like the people who are like, "Man, I really wish that the fox and the hound would both fucking bang me." Like there are tons of people who are into that. It's just like not in the mainstream. No one's going to no one's going to make There's this a- video game called Night in the Woods where you play a cat character and she's so fucking annoying, not hot at all. But she befriends an alligator girl, and that alligator girl, one of the hottest fucking alligator girls of all time. I'm trying to think if there are any <laughs> super sexy alligator girls out there. If you like dragon girls, it's not that far off. Except I don't like dragon girls. I, I like I like goblin girls, if we're going to talk about I don't like this. that my, my movie conversation got into uh, a, furry, a furry conversation. I, I particularly liked the the the, uh, the theme around like inheritance. It, the, the whole movie seemed to me this problem of like, what do we do about our inheritances? There's there's a level at which the father in the first episode is ashamed of his inheritance and is willing to give it up. His obsession with what's new, you know, like drives his own destruction. But then the pre the, the latter people's obsession with their inheritance drives them to destruction. So in some weird way, you have two kind of dual versions of inheritance. You have the father's version, which could have been a positive version of inheritance, which which is like, yes, this this beat up cabinet was my inheritance. And no, it's not great, but it's what belongs to me. And it's what it's what kind of I represent and it's what I inherited. But in the same sense, those uh, clinging to those those things can drive our obsessions to to destructive points as well. Do you guys remember like, that movie and, and, Monster House? Yeah. The kids, yeah, yeah, I love that film. It's very cute. That's a fun. That's actually a good, movie. It's a good movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. Bringing the podcast to a screeching halt because I want to just, I want you to recognize that this is a fun movie. To me, to me, Sway, this really, uh, this the style of obsession or or horror that the environment in the house resembled was much more similar to, like, the, the novel, like, The Street. Oh, it feels I like there's you. a necessity in Kiss me on the lip story. I love that book. The problems start to be drawn out. And by the time all the horror's been drawn out, all the danger's been drawn out, you're it's too late, right? You're like, I can't go anywhere. This is where I live. I, I would I would absolutely recommend this to you. I mean, I would recommend it to anyone, but... I would I would also recommend The Metamorphosis. <laughs> I would recommend... I, could rec- I would recommend Anti-Oedipus. Like, only, only smart people who are cool and like to lean back in their chairs will get it, though. <laughs> I like to lean back in my chair a lot. No, see, here's the thing. Anyone who says they've read Anti-Oedipus and they get it are a bunch of shit heels. Of course. No, you didn't. Yes. You didn't understand it. You didn't understand it. No one understands that book. Fuck off. Who has told you they've got it? I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm just making... I just... I'm imagining. <laughs> Swade. Swade is actually... Swade called me once and he was like, I think I get it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, that is there's me. actually something I could ask. It's like, why do you, why is recommending something so important to you? <laughs> why is recommending? Yeah. To be fair, we I don't think we've ever recommended. Well, that's not true. I oh, recommend people. Really? Watch. No, no. Sweet. No, I, I do. I don't. I do. Uh, I mean, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Watch it or don't hey, watch it. 
Hey, don't talk to our listeners like that, Tori. What the fuck's wrong with you? Treat them with respect. He's literally talking to himself. <laughs> what? How is he talking to himself? He is the only listener. Walter, we we haven't talked about your mom. Do you wanna you wanna say about your mom how much you love her? Do you wanna you wanna do that for a quick bit? No, pass. <laughs> what happens? Nothing. It's like it, it's like a running bit that Walter doesn't put oh. in the podcast. It's like a bit Walter never puts it in. Uh, <laughs> the bit is that he won't, Walter won't say that he loves his mom. Yes, that's that's the, bit. the bit is that he won't say he loves his mom. That's that's profoundly sad. <laughs> that's it's a good bit, right? It's a good bit that he won't put in the podcast. So moving on, don't we have some important shout outs? Shout out to Drew Davenport uh, of My Brother, My Brother, and Me fame. Uh, I talked to him on, on Twitter. I hope he's listening because he's very cool. And he was in a lot of episodes of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And it's I love that podcast. So yeah, the McElroys, if you guys want to be on the podcast, fucking just Justin. If just Justin could be here, he's my favorite. Justin, you're my favorite. Oh, well, now I feel like we're alienating them by doing I'll, that. Hey, I, I, loved, I, I love alienating. Who the fuck are any of you? Yeah, Walter. Yeah. Walter doesn't know anything about my brother, my brother, and me. I love that we're doing a shout out for their very wildly successful <laughs> show. Yeah, it's true. Maybe, maybe it's just like we put the tag in. Someone will accidentally <laughs> listen to this. Should I just call this episode "My Brother, My Brother"? If we just got Travis, then would you accept? Of course, I love Travis. Who's your least favorite? Dude, I'm pretty sure Travis is a little problematic. I my so I think the funny I think the least funny is Walter Travis. Walter is just saying shit. So did he kill a bunch of people in Houston or something? Oh, you Travis Scott. You was thinking of Travis Scott. So Travis Scott is not on Brother by Brother. No, dude. No. no, that'd be pretty wild. Is everyone on my brother, my brother white? They're all brothers. Yeah, it's three they're, brothers. They're all brothers. Uh, and they talk about incest? You're you're ruining something beautiful for me. <laughs> Okay. You're ruining Fine. something beautiful for me. They don't nearly, they don't nearly uh, across that line. Although I've been going back and listening to like the really old episodes, like I'm on episode thirty, and they had a very uh, different style. I want a weird following of like people who are like incels. You know, suede is great. No, not incels. Yo, how 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 bones would you be though if we all of a sudden we're like gaining viewership and it's like, oh, we've got like a cool like niche. Like a, a cool niche, like underground, super tight fan group, and it's all incels. Shout out to my eight-year-old incels. Give me your mom's credit card. That's and that's, you, you want to spend some bucks on the Fortnite stealing. LeBron James skin, or the Will Smith skin that you can no longer spend money on. There's no way that's real. Right? A LeBron James skin in Fortnite? Yeah, totally. There is. Yeah, Fortnite has yeah, all dude. skins, dude. You can actually play as Werner Herzog in Fortnite. Fuck off! I, I would. Walter, you mentioned Will Smith. Do we want to? Do we want to talk about Will Smith and how he slapped Chris Rock, or is that like? Did you see the clip that was from Japanese television that had the Japanese a voiceover? Yeah, so you could hear Will Smith hilarious. being like, "Keep your wife's name out of my mouth, motherfucker." Uh, but there was something that that, that they said in English. GI <laughs> Joe, GI Joe, yeah, GI Jane. Jane. What's GI? No, it's GI. No, Joe. it was GI Jane. Yeah, that was the that was the joke. No, because because she's losing her hair because of alopecia. No, I get that, but I thought like the movie he was referencing was a cool movie about toys. How does that change? How does that <laughs> well, change? what is about fucking boring ass Americanism, fucking wars, and what's about fucking sick toys, baby? The naked toys that you used to masturbate to when you were a kid because they were butt naked. 
Dude, it's so fucking different. I did not masturbate to those. I masturbated <laughs> exclusively to the uh, pictures. Uh, not the actual dirty apps that were on the oh ice door, but the pictures of the dirty apps on the ice door. Not like the, the women's bathing suit. <laughs> not Barbie. Not Barbie. I masturbated exclusively to... Um, Dude, G.I. Joe is one of the biggest... <laughs> monster. In my opinion, is like one of the most underrated opening the doors to masturbating to men. <laughs> okay, okay, I dude. Mean... <laughs> I, I mean, like, I don't know how to respond to that other than I disagree. Uh, I don't, like, I don't, it's like I don't know. I, I I didn't know we were supposed to have rankings in regards. To, yeah. What do you, do you mean that there was like a lot of um like super intense masculinity that can border on homoeroticism? No, because you could take off the clothes and lick the nipples. Okay, but see, I didn't do that when I... Okay, okay. <gasps> Fuck! Okay. No, 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 no. I actually know how to respond to this. I know how to respond to this. When I was playing with G.I. Joes, I wasn't I'm there. Sorry. Okay, that's fair. So that's can't. why it's not... Like, so for instance, I... Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> Tori's just losing it. Tori's just laughing the entire time. I still have my toys. My G.I. Joes stayed with me until, like, afterwards, you know? So I had them with me still. Did G.I. Joes have... <laughs> G.I. Joe's have nipples because Barbies didn't. Yes, they did have nipples. They also had abs. They had a bunch of fucking abs. So you could yeah. lick the six-pack and then feel the bumps <laughs> on the six-pack. See, Walter, you did all this weird homoerotic shit when you were, like, young, but you're the straightest out of, like, anyone on the podcast. No, it's more that I think masturbation is way more interesting than sex. So I will masturbate to anything. I will not have sex to anything. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> I okay. will say I I um for uh like Hawkeye dolls or Barbies I have never done it with a Barbie I did however do it to Matsumoto from Bleach I had a Matsumoto figurine and I used and I did suck her boobs for a bit because you know her <laughs> boobs are huge so like it just happened. That's I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna throw up if you. <laughs> do you know who Rengoku Matsumoto is, Tori? No, no, I don't. I mean, I know what Bleach is. She's but. like the only girl in that show that has like huge tits too. Like you that can is not true at all. Any- Orihime has huge tits too. And Nell and Harbell, Tia Harbell. How old were you? Do you think when you licked when you were sucked on Rengoku Matsumoto's uh, figurine boob? Well, <laughs> I swear to God, if it cannot be anything above fourteen. <laughs> nah, it was above 14. I bet it was like 18 or something. Oh, that's Whoa. insane! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, no tea, no shade. That, there, I know there's like a subculture that is of people untenable. who like... Nah, dude, because there's like a subculture of people who like are really into like jizzing on anime figurines. That's like a thing. See, I get deeper into the... What people would call the pits of porn or masturbation whatever you want to call it when i feel really down right so whenever my most down years is when i dropped out of college have you ever masturbated to a pokemon wow. card i'm joking let's move on only the holographic charizard <laughs> and it's just because of how cool it is i had a i had a i had a holographic uh charizard xp <laughs> congratulations congratulations <baby>. yeah <laughs> like, congrats. I, I was very i was very proud of that card guys this episode has been a mess but give us five stars
Just give us five stars. We are still working on getting 55 stars because Sway does still want to get slapped just in case you forgot. Basically, we get 55 stars on... Because that's really what he gets off to, actually. He will (laughs) instantly come. No, I hate getting hit, dude. That shit sucks. No, I... But I know other people on the internet will come when they see my belly jiggle while I get slapped. I mean, you guys are gonna... You guys are probably going to, right? Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a bad sorry yeah, what a bad friend you don't masturbate to your what friends. a bad friend yeah dude come on we just created a new letterbox account we'll write some of the stuff that we talked about on the podcast as reviews but i actually think what will also be interesting is that me and suede will probably have conversations on letterbox where i'll reflect on something i regret just like when i regretted talking about davida so instead of bringing davida back to the fucking podcast i can just write it on the letterbox and then suede can call me trash and say why i have shit taste and we're gonna create some cool ass lists if you have any lists that you want to see us making let us know you can find that letterbox on our twitter bio but yeah it is incredibly exciting tori sent me a picture he was very he's very quiet tori sent me an image or a, a message over discord and i was like oh shit i hope tori doesn't have like something like important to say oh no i hope he's okay and then instead it's just a picture of orahime and rengaku matsumoto from fucking bleach kind of hugging each other with their <laughs> boobs touching <laughs> well with that said follow us on twitter also at fake film fans send us an email at fakefilmfans at gmail.com we'll answer any questions we'll also give you a shout out and thanks for listening honestly thanks for listening yeah literally <laughs> i mean honestly you guys don't have to listen but it is like pretty chill and, that you and do can i just say can i just say i i'm sorry we're all sorry. I'm sorry. We're all very sorry for this episode. We're, we're so- sorry. And I think that there's only one thing left to say other than that I'm sorry. And it's, uh, if you're going to watch a movie, do it with the lights off. <laughs> <laughs>